Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Embrace. So grateful to have you here to worship with this family this morning. My name is Christina, and I'm one of our associate pastors, and it is an honor just to welcome you to this place. If you are new or visiting with us this morning, we're so grateful that you've chosen to be here, and I hope that you get lots of warm welcome from other folks as well, but let me be the first to say we're just so grateful that you chose to come into this place and that you get to worship with us today. If you came in and did not grab an announcement sheet off the welcome table, remember those are there for you when you come in or as you leave. We also have prayer cards for our missionary family that we've been talking about and supporting this month. And if you want the announcements to come to your inbox, we do also have an announcement email. So you can use a connect card, which is the bright blue in your pew, to sign up for that or to share your information with us, or there's lots of other things you can tell us on the back like you're interested in volunteering or learning more, even just about the Christian faith. So if you want to choose any of those options this morning, please do. There's also a place to share your prayer requests. And we have a team who keeps those confidential. We're not going to blast those out in an email. But they are lifted up and prayed over each week because we believe in partnering together in prayer. We believe that God hears us and that prayer changes things. So if you would like to fill out the Connect card in any way this morning, or if you want to give while you're in the building, you can put those um, Connect cards and those gifts in the box either at the back or to the side door over here. You can also always give online at embraceyourcity.com give, or you can always email prayer requests to prayer at embraceyourcity.com. I'll also remind you that we do not have Wonder Room this month, the month of August, which is almost over, crazy enough. Um, just for our volunteers to be able to rest, and we're getting the rooms reset, and 23 lay volunteers are going to have lunch together and get trained next week, and then we'll start back in September. So we're excited for that, but any kids who are with us this morning, there are activities at the back of the sanctuary, and you're welcome to grab some of those and bring them back to your pew during the service as well. Um, and then lastly, I'll let you know that a stream of the service is also happening in the cafe which is the room right across the hall from the sanctuary. And you can go in there if you just need a breather, if there's too much sensory stimulation in here, or if you um, just need a different space for a while. That is available to you, and you can get up and go in there at any time. So without any further announcements on my part, I'll turn it over to Lisa and the worship team this morning. Good morning, Embrace. If you would, uh, stand with us and join in a call to worship. O oh Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you, as the sun rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Oh, how I
And in that spirit of needing the Lord, uh, join us in this confession. We know that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Let us in freedom confess the wrong we have done. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. go into um, our gratitude and lament time, which this is something we do here um, every week, um, where we can get to share both the things we're really grateful for and um, some of the things that have been harder this week. Um, so just get together with a couple people around you, um, two, three, four, um, and if you only have a gratitude or only have a lament, um, that's totally fine. So just take a few minutes and share with each other.
All right, go ahead and take a couple minutes and wrap up your conversations. Please stand with us again if you're able and willing.
to a time of prayer that we do every Sunday morning to kind of calm us and still our souls as we come into this place with whatever we brought in with us. So I'm going to be kneeling here at the altar and you're more than welcome to come and kneel and pray with me um, or stay where you are. We'll close this prayer with the Lord's Prayer and it'll be up on the screen for you and we may do it a little bit differently than you're used to, so you may want to take a look at that. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Before we begin, I just ask that you would take some breaths to kind of settle yourself. And I heard Priscilla Shire one day say for her to do this, she breathes in and out the name Yahweh. And that's how I will begin with Yahweh. Lord, first of all, we're thankful that you allow us to gather in this place. Not that this place is magical, but Lord, this place is an amazing place to be because you are here with us. Lord, you are welcomed here. We are not your perfect people, and you know that. And you still love us, and we thank you for that. Lord, this morning there's many emotions that have been brought into this room. There's fear, and there's anxiety, and there's exhaustion. Lord, there may be anger resentment and hurt, Lord, and worry and pain. And Lord, we give you all of those because we know you can handle those. We know that you care for us. You care about us. You care that what we are going through, that you will be there with us. And I thank you for that, Lord. Lord, this morning we hear of fires raging we hear of hurricanes on the move. Lord, we hear of drought. We hear of war. Lord, we hear of so many things going on in our world that we cannot fathom all of them. But Lord, I praise you that you are a God that's in the midst of all of those. And Lord, I thank you also that it's just not the big events that are going on but it's the little things that are going on in our lives that you are present for. Lord, I just ask that you would be with those this morning that have received news that they weren't expecting. Lord, I would ask that you'd be with those that have heard of diagnosis that have shattered their world. Lord, I would ask that you'd be with those that are in such financial difficulties they're not sure what to do next. Lord, I lift up to those 
that have no place to stay, that will be out on the streets. I ask that your presence would be with them. Lord, I thank you for this place that we come into called Embrace that allows us to be who we are, no matter what that may look like. I thank you that this is a safe place. I thank you that this is a place that brings together people that on the outside of this building may not come together. Lord, that's because of you. That's because of your love for everyone. No matter what they may look like, Lord, or where they come from, how much or how little they have, what they do for a living, how old or young they are, how sick or how healthy they are. You are there, God. Lord, I just lift up all the students and the teachers that have just started school back and those that will begin soon. I would ask for your protection for them, Lord, in a world that sometimes is a scary place for schools. Lord, I would ask that you would help the students to grow and to learn, Lord, that their knowledge would increase. Lord, for the teachers, I would ask that you would give them patience in times that I'm sure patience are needed. I would ask that you would give them strength and compassion and love, Lord, and I thank you for teachers that give of themselves for their students. Lord, guide and protect them. Lord, I would ask that you would be with all of us, be especially with those that will have to be out in the elements this week as the heat comes back. Lord, help there to be safe shelter for those that are working outside, for those that are living outside. Lord, help there to be a place to go, to get cool, and to get a drink. Lord, I would ask that you would be with us as a church as we reach out to those around our community that need you. Lord, I thank you and praise you for the gift of the gathering that we have here every Monday night, Lord. Lord, I, I, I know that you understand what I mean when I say I think that's the closest thing to heaven I can see here on earth. Lord, I thank you for the people that gather around the tables that discuss and laugh and talk and eat amongst circles of people that would never get together. And that's because of this place and because of your love. Lord, I thank you for the leadership of this church. I thank you for John and Christina and Tanya and Rachel, Lord. I thank you that they love you and love this church and they serve you. Lord, I thank you for the time that John and Laura have had away for this sabbatical. Lord, I thank you that this church sees that it is important to give rest to our leaders. And Lord, I would ask that they would come back safe and just revived and renewed for a new season. Lord, I would ask today that you would help us to hear the words that Christina brings that you have put on her heart. And Lord, I know that all of us may hear something different out of these words, and I thank you for that. Lord, I would ask that you would help us to put aside whatever we've brought in that's going to hinder us from hearing these words. Lord, help us to think and to listen closely and intently to the words you have for us. Lord, I would ask for your protection as we leave this place, as we go on with our lives in this week to come. And Lord, I'm thankful that you're already on the other side of 
these lives that we live. For you know what we're facing and you are there. And we thank you for that. Lord, we close with the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. We ask that you would hear our prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, good morning again. As Rick referenced in his prayer, our lead pastor John and his family have been on sabbatical for the last month. So you've gotten to see lots of different faces up here and hear the word from lots of different people. We'll get to hear from Dustin next week, which I'm really excited for. But John and Laura will actually be back next Sunday as well. And in this last week, as they're preparing to return home and to rejoin us, I would encourage you to keep praying for them. If you've ever spent an extended period of time in silence or by yourself and then rejoined other people, it can be kind of jarring. So I would encourage you just to pray for their transition and that the Lord would help them to be able to maintain that posture of rest that they've been in. And they do so much for this community. They've been deeply invested here for so long. And so let's just continue to cover them in prayer as they prepare to come back this week. We've been in the lectionary text of the Gospel of Matthew, and we are there again today. And as we join up with Jesus and his disciples, we find ourselves after the feeding of the 5,000, after Jesus walking on water, and most recently, after Jesus challenges what everybody knows to be the qualifiers of what makes something clean or unclean. So he's just had some teaching that they left a little confused Maybe Jesus is doing a new thing here, and they're not quite sure. But today, there's another miracle in our story. And interestingly enough, the miracle happens somewhere off stage. The miracle is an exorcism, which means that a young woman is healed of demon possession. And that miracle is surely a powerful one. But the story doesn't show us the miracle. Actually, the people living during this episode. Don't even see the miracle happen. The young woman is not in their midst when she is healed. We are simply told by the story that she is healed the very moment that Jesus says it is so. So we have to notice today that though this miracle must have been a great show of God's power, it's not for some reason the focus of this passage. Matthew, writing this gospel, made a lot of intentional choices. That was one of them. He chose not to focus on the miracle itself, but on the exchange between Jesus and the young woman's mother. Why? There must be some wisdom for us today in the words of this woman. And indeed, there is. The way Matthew has structured the story is an invitation for us to lean in and listen. But there's also a bunch of cultural noise in the way. Before we can really hear what this woman has to teach us, we've got to do some peeling back of our own discomfort and of the elements in this story that just feel kind of wrong to us from where we sit in our 21st century cultural seats. 
So we're going to do that today. We're going to peel back some of the distance. And we're going to see that this woman was meant to be heard. And then we're going to listen closely to what she has to say. And I'll warn you, Jesus is, he's saying some things that sound really harsh this week. He is going to be just very clear and harsh and blunt, and we are going to hear it together, and we're going to address it. And I just want to say, for those of us in the room, there's more than a handful, I'm sure, who have grown up as women in the church, sometimes, especially in that environment, it can be easy to feel dismissed or looked down upon. And Jesus is talking to a woman when he talks the way that feels very uncomfortable to us. So that could be triggering for some of us. And I just want you to know that as we peel back those layers, as we look at that context, Jesus is actually holding this woman up as a role model. So we're going to peel back that distance, and we're going to deal with that discomfort, and we're going to see what it is she has to teach us. So let's listen to the passage together. This is Matthew 15, 21 through 28. You're welcome to follow along in your Bibles or on the screen behind me. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So did you catch it? The kind of icky parts of Jesus's response? <laughs> First, he ignores her. It says he didn't respond a word. Well, that's the fancy storytelling way of saying he ignored her, like just straight up didn't respond. And then when he does respond, we almost wish he hadn't. Because what he says just sounds so bad. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That sounds pretty strong, doesn't it? Yeah. So all we can do is greet our discomfort head on and figure out what's really going on here and deal with the messy cultural dimension of what has just unfolded. And I'll tell you our first clue to why this exchange is so charged is the label applied to the woman. She is called a Canaanite woman. And this designation is an invitation for us to think back on the long and difficult history of Israel. Does Canaan ring a bell for anyone? Yes, that was the land promised to Israel by God, promised to be the possession of Abraham's family. And it was a possession that didn't come until 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and 40 years of wandering in the desert, and lots of really ugly skirmishes with all these little nation tribes. There were people who practiced pagan worship. There were pagan peoples filled in the land of Canaan until the people of Israel came along. And God partnered with the army of Israel to drive those people out so that it became the land that belonged to the people of Israel instead of the land of Canaan. Well, as you can imagine, 
the relations between Israelites and Canaanites were kind of strained from the beginning because that's how it all started, right? There was hostility and there was violence in the midst of those relations. And so if you remember just a little bit back to the sermon series John preached on Romans, he noted how in Romans, Paul talks about Jews and how they think about the world in two categories. There's Jewish people, and then there's literally everybody else. Those are Gentiles. Well, the Canaanites are the OG. They're the original Gentiles. All the bad blood starts there in the land of Canaan, okay? So it's a long history. It's an ugly history. There is a lot of prejudice and hostility there. So when Matthew introduces this woman to us in the story this way, he does it to tell us she's a Gentile, but more than that, to tell us that there's a lot of hostility and a lot of social prejudice wrapped up in that. And in fact, Canaanite is an old distinction by the time of Jesus' ministry. Biblical scholar Marilyn Salmon says, there were no Canaanites living in the first century. So the label does not describe present-day encounters. The label evokes historical conflicts and thus defines the woman in terms of age-old prejudices a first-century Jewish audience would understand. So she's not necessarily from Canaan. It's not what it means when he calls her a Canaanite. It means she shows up on the scene and she brings all that baggage with her. That's the mindset we're supposed to be in when we meet this woman in this story. So because of who she is and all she represents, Jesus' first response to her, or his lack of response, is really the socially expected response of a Jew to a Gentile, right? This is something that would not have surprised Jesus' disciples or his Jewish followers. At the moment, Jesus is acting the way any of them would act. He's being one of the Jews in this situation. So I can't help but remember again back to Romans. Y'all, we're connecting it all. It's fun when it overlaps. And John told us about a rhetorical device that Paul uses in the first two chapters of Romans. In Romans 1, he lists out all of the normal complaints about Gentiles and how terribly sinful they are so that his Jewish listeners are nodding along. They're tracking with him. They feel their own righteousness just in time for Paul to yank the rug out from underneath them in chapter 2 when he says, oh, wait, you're probably more guilty of sitting in judgment and also very sinful. I have to wonder if Jesus approaching the woman this way initially serves a very similar purpose. As he ignores her, I imagine the disciples and the other Jewish followers are nodding along. This is right. They're leaning in close, feeling like Jesus is on their team. And for the moment, it looks like he is. But they push it even further. They aren't just happy enough with Jesus ignoring her. The disciples, bolstered by their generations of hostility and social prejudice, actually tell Jesus he ought to just send the woman away. Ignoring her is not enough. She's bothering them, and I'm sure that the disciples think Jesus is not able to do the real work that he is supposed to be doing because this woman is in the way. He doesn't send her away. In fact, Jesus still hasn't even turned to respond to the woman at this point. The next thing he says is to his disciples. 
he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Seems kind of like that comes out of nowhere. But he says it to the disciples, sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And we recognize in these words that Jesus is confirming his own mission statement. What is his purpose? Well, his time on earth has been set aside to minister to the people of Israel. Remember who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. That is a Jewish term. That is a Jewish promise. Jesus has come to be God's own provision for God's people who are desperately lost so that God can be faithful to his promise and save them. That's Jesus' main role when he shows up on the scene. And throughout Jesus' ministry, we see Gentiles breaking into the story. Gentiles receive healing. They're offered living water. They're commended for their faith. But by and large, when they break into the story, those are interruptions or pit stops on Jesus' larger journey. So Jesus in this statement is reaffirming that his focus is on Israel. We know but the disciples don't, that they are the ones who will broaden that focus after Pentecost. There's so much they still don't know yet, and that's just part of it. But we have to recognize that even though Jesus reaffirms his own mission statement, he does not affirm the disciples in their desire to send the woman away. He doesn't respond to that question from them. So maybe the woman is encouraged that Jesus doesn't send her away. Or maybe she has decided in advance that she's going to be bold, no matter what it costs. So she kneels before Jesus, which is a posture of respect, and she pleads for his help. And then he says to her something that sounds really ugly and is like a harsh version of the mission statement he just said to his disciples. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Well, it's clear here, since he's just been talking about Israel as his mission, that his reference to the children is talking about the household of Israel. He's saying, it's not right for me to take what God has set aside for the household of Israel and toss it to the dogs. And here, we need to know, he's not calling her a dog because she's a woman. He's not calling her a dog directly. He is using the term dogs as a Gentile reference. That doesn't make it better. Like, it's still gross, (laughs) It still makes us feel uncomfortable for good reason, and it's still harsh and direct. And honestly, it's a statement of social prejudice, passing the lips of Jesus. But we have to imagine that as Jesus speaks this way, his Jewish followers are leaning in closer. They know how this story ends. They are feeling the rightness of their prejudice too. And then, in a single moment, Everyone is taken aback. The woman doesn't miss a beat. Instead, she responds and says, yes, Lord. That seems to me like a statement recognizing and even accepting Jesus' own statement of his mission. Yes, Israel, these are your people. But she has more to say. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I can only imagine Jesus is amazed because he responds with a resounding, woman, you have great faith. And that's not just like a term that rolls off Jesus' tongue all the time, that whole great faith qualifier. In fact, that's not something he's ever been able to say about his own disciples. 
More often than not, he's pointing out their lack of faith and how little of it there is. But now he turns to this Canaanite, this Gentile woman, and says, you have great faith. And all of a sudden, Jesus' language has transformed. No longer is he showing us the expected social response of a Jew to a Gentile. Now we see an air of reversal, where Jesus is willing to praise this woman without restraint, to give her this designation that we do not see him give very often. And he elevates her. With his praise, he has transformed her in front of their eyes from a dirty sinner to a worthy exemplar. This woman is meant to be listened to. And on the heels of Jesus' praise, he assures the woman that her request has been granted. The healing and freedom she seeks for her daughter is reality. And as the scene closes, we have to imagine that the disciples and the other followers in the crowd are just a little bit shook, right? What seemed normal and natural and very much the way they would operate just a moment before is suddenly strange and supernatural. The power of God has been unleashed on behalf of this Gentile woman's daughter, and Jesus himself has turned the tables on these normal social prejudices? What's going on? All of a sudden, this is totally different than when it began. And in a major way, we find them unnerved, and we see the lesson intended for the original audience. This story is all about a challenge to prejudice a long-held, deep-seated hostility and prejudice between the nation of Israel and Canaanite or Gentile people. And that's a lesson that still matters for us today, maybe more than ever. Who's the group of people that we dismiss, that we decide is unworthy of our attention and Jesus's attention? We've got to ask ourselves that question when we look at this story. It challenges those attitudes. It says Jesus looks at the heart of a person, every person, any person. Do you? It's the first question in this passage. But the lesson does not end there. My friends, let us not forget that like the woman in the story, we too are Gentiles. We are those who have been grafted in to the family and the promise of Israel. We don't walk with God by ancestral heritage, but by growth in faith. Faith, the very thing this woman is said to have. And today she teaches us a powerful lesson about what it means to have faith. But to discover that lesson, I think we've got to ask a question first. What was so stunning and bold and trusting about what she said anyway? It doesn't really make sense to us when we just hear it, right? Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Well, I believe the most profound part of what she says centers on one single word, there. The dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Do you hear the claim of possession there? The master of the household is not just the master of the children. He's the master of her kind of people, too even those who get called something as terrible as dogs. And when Jesus likens her to a dog, she doesn't even take offense. Instead, it's as though she says, I may be a dog. I may be 
the kind of person that does not belong in the initial promise. I might be the kind of person who's in the hard, dark part of Israel's story. I may be a dog, but I am still a dog in the household of the master. I belong to him. He is mine. And not only does she realize and claim that she has a place with God, she also acknowledges she has a portion. She has provision from his hand. And that portion might just be crumbs, but she looks at it and she says, it's enough. This woman does not have great faith because she believes so much in the power of God that she pesters Jesus until she gets her way. No, we are told that she has great faith because her trust is in the master himself. She recognizes that he claims her, that he sees her, and that he is willing to provide enough for her need. Y'all, this Gentile woman has been paying attention. She knows that hard story that she's been part of on the wrong side of history, right? She knows that the God of Israel is recognized as providing day by day a portion of They both died, but the spirit is still with us, friends. (laughs) All right. So she knows that God provides manna for his people Israel, and she acknowledges that he is the God of enough. There's enough, even for her and her need, when it comes to this God. Man. It is a right view of God like this that enables us to have faith. Her view of God lines up with the history of Israel. She sees it better than they do. Her view of God lines up with what Jesus shows us about God's heart. And it's that right view that allows her to trust in his provision regardless of the circumstance. That's what we are called to. That's why she's our exemplar today. To learn how to walk in that kind of faith is what we're called to. And she reveals to us in her bold words that her hanging on to faith means she has to reject a couple of temptations. And those same temptations trip us up. They're our greatest hindrances to faith. So we're going to look at those really quickly today, too. The first is the temptation to try and arrange for ourselves or talk ourselves into a better place or portion. When Jesus addresses her, He acknowledges that she is in the lowest place of this household, and her portion is measly. It's just crumbs, right? But instead of being offended by that, she says, I have a place and a portion. That's enough. How often are we concerned with, instead of content with, the place we find ourselves or the portion that we feel like we receive from God? How often... Do we feel like if we could just get people to listen to us a little better, if we could just have a little bit more visibility and respect, we would be in the right place? 
How often are we tempted to go to God with a list of all the reasons that we have earned a greater portion than what we feel like we've received? That temptation is real. But as long as we are focused on how our efforts appear, or if we slip into a mindset of scarcity where we believe we need or deserve more, our gaze shifts and falls. Longer are we looking at the God of enough? And that's when we struggle to hold on to faith. So this woman shows us that what it takes to be able to hold on to that faith is to accept that when we come to Jesus, we have a place in the household of God and a portion. We have a place, we belong. We have a portion, that's enough. That's the beginning and the end, the whole of it. God is taking care of us. Just got to trust that. The second temptation the woman avoids is that of assuming that the way God's people are treating her is a reflection of the master himself. This one's hard. The woman has stepped into the middle of a Jewish audience. These are the chosen people of God. So they represent him in a real way, right? But the treatment that she gets from them is not hospitable in the least. So she could assume that the way that they're acting is how God feels about her too. But she knows better. She knows the master himself and that he is good, even when his people aren't. For some of us in this room today, church hurt has cast a shadow and caused incredible doubt in our relationship with God. It's really hard when we are wounded by people who claim to love God to be able to separate out our pain and God's culpability. It's easy for us to think that he's the one who's causing it. And those doubts and those feelings are valid. Those of us who've been hurt like this, in a real way, have some grieving work to do. Grieving what the family of God was meant to be and wasn't. And then, at some point, helped along by the gracious and compassionate hand of God himself, We've got some healing work to do. And the woman today shows us that healing is about seeing God rightly again. It's about being able to trust the goodness of his heart. It's a healing of our faith. Growing in that spiritual sight and trust may not be an easy road. And in fact, it probably won't be. But it is a journey that's worthwhile. And I hope you can hear this today. If you have been wounded by God's people, know that there is still a place for you. You belong with the master. And he offers you a portion that really is enough, even enough for the healing that you need. After all, it's healing that's provided in this story too, right? The young woman is trapped by her own demons and she's healed, she's set free. It's her mother's great faith that leads to the healing of the daughter. And so we have to ask ourselves, is it great faith that leads to great miracles? And in the same breath, we might wonder, if we aren't seeing the provision we hope for, does that mean we need more faith? Well, I wanna be clear about that today. No, we don't need more faith. 
Because faith is not some sort of cosmic balance where we've got to put enough in to get enough out. It's not some sort of manipulation trick on God's part. Instead, what we need when struggles in our life feels overwhelming is not more faith, but different faith than what a lot of us have been taught to have. The faith that we are called to hold and that the woman in this story demonstrates is faith not in the outcome of a miracle, but faith in the master. That it is the master, it is God our Father who sustains us. It is God who will provide enough. And friends, sometimes that enough really feels like abundance. It is far above and beyond what we asked for or what we could have imagined, and it is an amazing provision. But sometimes God's enough comes portioned out one day at a time. And he sustains us, and he heals us, and he claims us step by step. That's still enough. It is faith that allows us to lean on God and trust his provision, no matter what it looks like, regardless of our circumstance. But let me also be clear that faith is not a matter of willpower. It's not about trying harder or white-knuckling it into having the right view of God. It tells us in Ephesians 2.8 that saving faith is a gift from God. Gift. You don't earn it. You don't make it happen. You receive it. It's a gift. And in Matthew 7.11, it tells us that God our Father willingly gives us good gifts. All we have to do is ask. So today, if you are struggling to see God for who he really is, if you are struggling to believe that he has enough for you, ask him for the good gift of faith and allow him to show you how he provides. Today, the main lesson and invitation stretched out to us through the Canaanite woman's story is to join her in the heart posture that belongs to great faith. And that is when we boil it all down, just trusting the master. Through her boldness, we are invited to recognize that we too have both a place and a portion in the household of our God. And because of who our God is, we can know that both that place and that portion are enough. So my friends, this week, let's rest in that truth. Let's rest in our belovedness, our belongingness, and God's enoughness. And if you aren't at rest, then will you seek and will you ask the good Father who gives good gifts to pour out on you the gift of faith that enables that rest and that trust. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We're going to take communion together today. Again, this is part of our weekly rhythm. But we don't do it just to check it off the list. We do it because we believe Jesus needs us here. We believe that there is power available to us. There is nourishment available to us when we come to the table. And so this morning, 
want to give us just a couple moments of silence to allow whatever God is saying to your spirit from this passage to sink in. As you come take your place at this table this morning, you will physically receive a portion of bread and juice handed to you. Let that be a physical representation this morning of the enough that you are offered. In these next few moments of silence, I invite you just to open your heart to the Lord. If you need to ask for faith this morning, do it now. You don't have to wait till later. If you need to praise him for his provision this morning, do it now. Spend a few moments with your own heart open before the Lord. Father, this morning we acknowledge that we have often been discontent and distracted. We have failed to recognize and be grateful for and rest in the place and the provision that you have offered us. We confess this morning that we have pushed our neighbors out when you would have welcomed them in. And Lord, as we lay this confession before you, we seek your forgiveness and we know we have it because you give good gifts. God, I pray this morning as we come to this table and as we physically receive a portion of the bread and the juice, that you would meet us here, that you would allow this act of coming forward and taking this portion into our bodies to be a powerful, powerful reminder to us of the way that you walk with us and sustain us every single day. God, those of us who need to grieve, would you give us the strength to grieve? Those of us who need to heal, God, would you give us the gift, the miraculous provision of your healing? And those of us who need to rest in who you are and who that makes us, Would you pour out your Holy Spirit, the comfort of your Holy Spirit, so that we might be at rest. Father, I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and juice, that they would be for us the body and blood of Christ. That as we come to the table this morning, we might be nourished and empowered to go out 
and to represent you well to a weary and waiting world. You are so good, God, and we are grateful. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I don't think I can reach my mic all the way to break the bread, so I'll do that in a second. But as the table is prepared this morning, you'll have an opportunity to form two lines down the center aisle. And you'll come forward and a communion server will tear off a piece of the bread for you and dip it in the juice. So if you can just have your hands outstretched and open, that's a posture of receiving. And they'll just give that to you this morning. If you need to wipe some juice off your hands, there are tissues on the altar. The altar is open if you would like to stay up here and pray while we worship. If you are more comfortable taking the pre-sealed communion elements, those are available at the back of the sanctuary. And there are also gluten-free elements available both up here and at the back. So if those who are helping me serve communion would come forward, we'll go ahead and prepare the bread and the juice.
for joining us this morning for worship. We have worship again tomorrow night at 6.45 after our dinner at the gathering, which is free and available for everyone. It's one of the best things we do around here. So if, if you're a person who gets hungry, maybe all of you, you should come <laughs> sometime. It's great. So that's tomorrow at 6, and we'll worship again at 6.45. And now I invite you to prepare yourselves to receive the benediction. Yes, maybe stand if you <laughs> forgot that part. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.